I am very excited about this presentation because it is dedicated to a friend of mine. Um, his name is Seth, and he was 19, and he loved GYC. And he tried to encourage as many people as he could to come. Uh, his sister is here, and I'm very thankful for that. And so, of course, first and foremost, this presentation is to Jesus and to each one of you and everyone who will hear it. And secondarily, it's for our memory of Seth because he was killed in a motorcycle accident when he was just 19. And I remember his friendliness. In fact, I would never have met Sierra or her family had it not been for Seth, their brother. We met when I was in school uh, at Stanford, and I had the opportunity to see them at church, take them out to a meal. And I will never forget my friend Seth. I still have his tie uh, that Sierra gave to me. So this session is going to be dedicated uh, to him. And I pray that you would receive a blessing uh, as well. Before we begin, I would like to ask the Lord to be with us. Please uh, bow with me as we pray. Loving Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be here with you. And I just pray that you would help us to remember the lessons from Seth's life. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace and strength as we learn about one of my other friends. I pray, Lord, that you would be seen and heard and felt today and not myself. I pray, Lord, that every one of my friends here would see Jesus, for in his name we pray. I'm going to share with you what the three most powerful words I believe are in the Bible. Now, I'm going to have some of you think about maybe some words that are powerful to you. Maybe God is love. Pretty powerful, right? Jesus loves me. Three powerful words. But I'm going to share with you what I believe is stronger any of those things that have more power to change someone's life and bring them to God than even those words. Before I begin, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Sean. He was an academy student, um, and he was 15 years old. Now, unfortunately, Sean was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. Now, that's a long word for cancer. Now, unfortunately, that's a very quick, very aggressive form of cancer. But thankfully, he dropped out of academy, got treated, and was cured. Sean was not just a fighter, he was a scholar. Even though he had missed a year of academy, he ended up going back and he finished everything in two and a half years. All of academy, he crammed in the two and a half years. And he also had a family that was very loving. A father and a mother and a sister. Now, I met Sean, unfortunately, as a result of a night at work. I was in the emergency room, and usually what happens is the patients will come to triage. The nurse will assess them. And she will decide how serious they are. She will put them in order and then put them in a room when we're ready to see them. Now, I was full. All my rooms were packed. I didn't have any room. One of the nurses came up to me and said, I think you need to see a patient out, outside in the waiting room. And I said, okay. That kind of scares me because they don't say that usually. So I went out to the triage and I saw a young man who was kind of pale, breathing hard, and his name was Sean. And I asked him uh, the question that I ask every patient, what seems to be the trouble? Why I can't breathe? What do you think is going on? And he said, well, I've had cancer in the past, and what has happened is I've had fluid accumulate in one side of my lungs. And that's what it feels like now. I said, okay. All right. 
I said, go ahead and bring him back to this room. We weren't ready, but I just brought him straight back. And after a while, I noticed that he was having more and more trouble breathing. And I said, uh, Sean, do you think you're going to need me to help you breathe a little bit? I'd already put him on some oxygen, and that seemed to be helping. But he seemed to be getting worse to me. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to need some help. So my plan was to put him on the ventilator, and then after that, drain the fluid in the lung, help to re-expand it. Now, unfortunately, it was a problem. Is that when you come into the hospital, in order to draw blood, to give you medications, what do we need to do? Put an IV in. None of the nurses were able to find a single vein on his body. There was some swelling. They couldn't understand why was going on. And so they appealed to me. They said, we can't get an IV in this young man. I said, okay. So I'll try. And I can tell you that I looked around him and there was no veins. Zero. And so at that point, we're left with a very few options. I can go for a subclavian line underneath your clavicle, your collarbone. I can go into your internal jugular vein here in your neck. Or I can go into your femoral vein here in your groin. I decided since I didn't need to do this right away, I would just go for the femoral vein. Now, I can tell you I've done hundreds of these lines. And I couldn't find it. I searched and searched and searched. I couldn't even feel this guy's pulse. And I'm like, something's wrong. And I can tell you that at one point, I thought I had struck his bladder because I drew back yellow fluid. And I'm like, uh-oh, I think this is urine. But it wasn't. He had so much what we call edema or fluid in his soft tissues that I had just gotten a pocket of lymphatic fluid. And at this point, I actually prayed in the emergency department. And I asked Jesus to help me to find the vein. And what was wrong is young and healthy people, you can actually feel your own pulse. Not too far away. It's like about this far away from your finger. I had a six-inch needle, and I had to bury it all the way to the hub to find his vein. But I finally struck it, and then I fed my catheter in there, we put an IV into his femoral vein and we gave him medications to slowly start to relax him so that we could put the breathing tube into his trachea and let him rest. So I did that. I put the breathing tube in, intubated him, put him on the ventilator. And unfortunately, I had to see other critical patients, so I had to transfer up to the ICU. But something that I do with all of my patients that are critical and whom I've had a time of special bonding with. I had a chance to actually pray with Sean and his family before he went under, to pray that God would heal him and bless him and guide him. Is I like to follow up to see how they're doing. So the next day I had to work. So before I came on shift, I came a little early, and I went up to the ICU to see Sean. We had prayed for God's special blessing and healing upon him and his family. He was about Seth's age, in fact. He was about 19, maybe 20. And when I got up, I saw his family there, and I went over to Sean. And I'm going to ask you a question. What happened to Sean? The line had worked well. The doctor had seen that the diagnosis was correct. It was a recurrence of the cancer. But unfortunately, Sean had died. This is his memorial that I received from his family. And the picture that you saw there was a card that they sent me. This is what they said. Dear Dr. Riesenberger, we wish to thank you for the special care you gave to Sean and us. We know that you were an answer to our prayer and need. Everyone we came into contact with at your hospital was kind and helpful. Thank you. I'm sending you Sean's memorial service program. Perhaps you'd like to get better acquainted 
with our dear Son. Thank you again, and God bless. Stories don't always end the way you expect, do they? There's not always a lived happily ever after, is there? And I'm telling you that when you give your life to Jesus, there are going to be things that you don't understand, that you don't explain just with a Bible verse, that you don't just say, well, all things work together for good. Because I can tell you, that's not good. It may work together for good, but when you're going through it, you can't see through the darkness. Was I expecting when I came up to the ICU to see my patient dead? No, I wasn't. I have seen God work miracles on many of my patients. But this one passed away. But I want to tell you what his family said. They said, Dr. Riesenberger, we were so blessed by what you did. And I'm like, he died. I'm thinking to myself, well, 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 I don't understand. They said, because he was extubated. They took the breathing tube out this morning and he was fine. I said, what? He was normal. He called and talked to his sister. He called to his grandparents. He talked to everyone in his family and he made his peace with God. You bought him that window of time to make things right. And we know that our son is saved. Because after Sean had spoken to all his family, he rapidly decompensated. And he was gone in a short period of time. Success or failure? It depends on if you can look at it through heaven's eyes. When I look at it, I see a patient that I could not bring back. I see a young man whose sister was broken, whose family was grieving. But you see, God sees him rising again and sees him in heaven. You and I will face those things in our lives as we become Christians we'll have times when we don't understand why God is letting us go through something. But you know that there's someone else who understands how you feel. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 38. Then saith he to them, now who is he here? Who is talking? That's right, Jesus. And who's them? His disciples. Then saith he unto them, my soul is what? Exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell, what? On his knees, on his face, and prayed, saying, Father, let's go to the cross. Is that what he said? No. He said, Father, if it is possible, what? Let this cup pass from me. Have you ever asked God to take you out of a situation? Have you ever asked God, you know, I can't handle this. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I expected. I can tell you that's happened to me many times. I'm going to share with you another patient that I saw. Oftentimes when I have residents and medical students who work with me, they want to see things that are common, things that aren't dangerous. What do you think they want to see? I mean, they're coming to the ER. What do they want to see? They want to see me shock somebody, crack them open, Riesenberger. They want to see me intubate. They want to see me put a line in. They want to see something that's deadly. But interestingly enough, I had a lady that came in, and within about five minutes of examining her and taking a history, I knew that she had something life-threatening. So life-threatening that it is forced 
In other words, I can force the treatment on you. There's not many things like that. Where even if you refuse, and people do all the time, I can make you take the treatment for this condition against your will. Pretty serious. In fact, this disease is the number one cause of death of this people group right here. Number one. Maybe HIV, maybe TB, something I could force you to do. Interestingly enough, my medical students, they'll pick up the chart and they'll go, they'll try to grab another one. And I'll see them, I'll say, uh-huh. I saw that. <laughs> or they'll go, and they'll walk into the room. They will begrudgingly see this patient. But why? It doesn't make sense to me, right? They want to see something life-threatening. This is it. But you know, I ended up seeing this lady because they didn't want to. So I walked in, I talked to her. And I told her that I was going to be giving her the treatment for this. She's like, I don't want it. I said, well, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, uh, by law, I can make you take it. She's like, no, you can't. That is against the law. That's against my rights. I'm leaving. I said, well, you're not going to be leaving. I'm going to keep you here in the hospital. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing my job. And you see, what was going on was perfectly normal on my part. If I would have had my chart audited, any physician would say, yep, Riesenberger did the right thing. No question. Forcing someone? That doesn't seem too Christ-like, does it? Well, let me tell you that this is an affliction that affects 10% of men, 20% of women. It's very common. And in the church, you'll see it. And when someone has this disease, oftentimes someone will come up and say, have you been having your devotions, brother? Have you given up the dairy, sister? They won't be as empathetic as you might consider. What is this? Well, I'll tell you. This woman was from Japan. And in Japan, it is not illegal to kill yourself. It is in my country. I can stop you. I can put you on a 72-hour hold. This disease is depression. She was wanting to end her life. She had taken an overdose. And she said, what I was doing was wrong. And I said, well, ma'am, you're not in Japan right now. You're here. And I'm going to keep you in the hospital for 72 hours, mandatory hold, until we can treat your depression. But how many times have you run into someone who's depressed and going through a hard time and the best thing they get from one of their family members or church members is you need to read the Bible more. Or they're saying, what's the sin in your life that's causing this? I want you to read Matthew 26, 38 and never forget it. Did Jesus ever commit sin? Did he even once succumb to temptation? But what does he say? My soul is sorrowful, exceeding sorrowful, even unto what? If you got a note from a patient and it said, Dear Dr. Riesenberger, I am so sad to the point of dying. What do you think I'd call that? I think I'd call it depression, wouldn't you? I think I'd be worried about that patient. I think I would want to be around that person. Right? And make sure that everything was okay. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted. Who did he want with him? His disciples. His friends. That's what people need who are sad. Not to be told that they're sinning. Not to be told that they need to improve their devotional life. They need someone to be with them. Did Jesus want them to fix the problem? No. All he asked is what? Tarry you here. And what? Watch with me. Just stay with me. That's all. That's all he asked. And I can tell you that Jesus, though he was the Son of God, 
as he prayed to his father, he said, Father, let's go to the cross. Father, I'm willing to drink this cup. Let's mix it up, put it down. Is that what he said? He didn't. He said, take it away, Father. And does God understand when you go through things that you don't realize that the end will ever come? Yes, He does. Has God seen the darkness? Yes, He has. Has Jesus been depressed? Yes, He has. Yes, He has. Someone asked me after the session this morning, and they said, Tim, I don't understand. So when I am converted, my feelings are going to change. I said, not always. Do you think there's times that I enjoy getting up and reading the Bible? Yes. Do you think it's always? No. It's not always. Sometimes I was working in residency and I was working 135 hours a week. I would stay up one night, see patients, stay up another night, come home and have to do it again the next day. I would work for 48 hours straight every fourth night, sometimes every third night. Now, to give you an idea, when you work 135 hours, there's only 168 hours in a week. Seven times 24 is 168, just FYI. So there wasn't much time where I was out of the hospital. I remember one time, someone was asking me how my shift went last night. I said there were no I's and O's. And what that means is usually we talk about patients, their intake and their output. And they said, wow, people were pretty dry. I said, no, that was me. Nothing came in and nothing came out. All shift. Does that sound healthy? Do you think when I came home, I wanted to open the Bible and read? Spend some time in prayer? I wanted to spend an intimate moment with my pillow. (laughs) And maybe some special time with a bowl of Cheerios. There's not going to be a 100% feeling all the time. Did Jesus feel like doing God's will 100% of the time? What did we just read? He said, Father... Take the cup away, didn't he? Don't let me go through this. And did he just pray it once? No, he prayed three times. But what did Jesus add at the end of the prayer? Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but your will be done. Is our will always going to be on the side of God's? No. It wasn't what Jesus wanted. He shrank from the sacrifice, Desire of Ages tells us. He didn't want to go. But He did. And He did it for you and for me. Are there times when you won't feel like doing the right thing? Yes, there are. Are there times when you won't understand what God's doing? Yes, there will be. Go to Luke chapter 22, verse 44. I'm going to tell you another, about another patient. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. And being in an agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I remember someone coming up to me at a conference, and they said, Tim, what does this symbolize, the drops of blood? What does this illustrate with Jesus? I said, well, it illustrates great drops of blood. They're like, what? And I remember seeing them just dumbfounded as I told them of a story. Has anyone ever seen a child born? You've read in the Bible... It says, when a woman is in labor, she hath sorrow, for her hour is come. And if you have witnessed that hour, you can understand the word travail of soul. There was a woman who was in labor, and a friend of mine was attending the birth, and he shared this story with me. 
He was a resident like myself. And unfortunately, the baby was not progressing forward. It was stuck. Now, sadly, if the baby gets stuck, there can be forces that compress certain parts. And if you compress the umbilical cord, what do you think happens? You're cutting off the circulation. And the baby's heart rate began to drop lower and lower. The signs of life began to slip away. And the nurses told this woman, you need to push like you have never pushed before. And she just screamed, ah! And she pushed. And out came the baby. And she's just trying to recover. And she just wipes her face and she sees a handful of blood. And she screams. And she's like, what's going on? She turns to the nurses and they say, it means you pushed really good. (laughs) Because under times of extreme stress, the capillaries underneath the surface of your skin will actually rupture and you will sweat blood. That's what Jesus did. He didn't understand. He was suffering under the hiding of His Father's presence. I can tell you that there is a promise from Jesus that means so much to me. And it's a promise you often hear from friends. It's at the end of the book of Matthew. Right? What does it say? Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19. Go ye, right? It follows the commission, the great commission. Go ye into all the world, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And what? Here's the promise. Lo. What does the word lo mean? Look, pay attention. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Do you know what the most favorite chapter is? The most beloved chapter is in the whole Bible? Yes, what is it? No, chapter. That's the most beloved verse. Where is it? Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, Though I walk through the valley of the what? Shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Sometimes in life, it's more important to know that someone's with you than even what's coming in the end. You see, God's promise is though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not around. Does that make sense? Jesus says He will be with us always. And that's sometimes all you need. That person that's struggling in your life that doesn't see God. Sometimes all they need is for you to be with them. Just to watch, to pray, to smile when they can't. I can tell you that that is something that you and I will need as Christians. To know that God will be with us And you can do that for someone else, too. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. Be content with such things as you have. For, why? He has said... I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Are there people in life that leave us and forsake us? Are there relationships that leave you and forsake you? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. But you know what? There's one person who doesn't. And that's Jesus. And I hope you can be Jesus for someone when they cannot see the Father's face. When they're crying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that way? I have. Have you ever known someone who was feeling that way? Did Jesus feel that way? Yes, He did. Yes, He did. 
Do you think Jesus was just acting? Okay, let's see. On cue, I'm supposed to say five, four. Okay, my God, my God, why have I... Jesus said it because that's the way he felt. It's the same thing with the blood. It's great drops of blood because it's great drops of blood. (laughs) That's the simple answer. I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not what? I will not fear what man shall do to me. It's amazing how your confidence changes when you know you have someone with you. It's amazing how your outlook changes when you know there's a constant in your life that doesn't change. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 and verse 29. And they passed by and railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified him reviled him as well. And going down... Verse 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I want you to remember this. Now the reason why I bring it up is Jesus felt forsaken. You will too. But I want you to know that it's different because If I were up on the cross, nailed there, and Sierra comes up to me, Ah, Tim, you said you are going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. Come on down from the cross. Um, I can't. (laughs) I'm up there. I'm not going anywhere. But could Jesus come down? Yes, he could. Sometimes we think that being Jesus is an advantage. Well, he just happens to be the Son of God at the same time. Isn't that interesting that the only human being that ever escaped the world without yielding to my temptations is the Son of God? That's what Satan says. But you see, being the Son of God made it harder, not easier. Because did he ever use his divine power to escape temptation or himself, to benefit himself? No. Because if he had, would he be like us? Because No, because you put me up on the cross, what am I going to do? I'm going to stay there on the cross till I die. That's, that's it. But Jesus could have, don't you see? Which made his temptations all the worse. Can you imagine letting someone beat you up when you could just go like this? Bing. Can you imagine that? We are told that Jesus could destroy Satan and, and all his hosts as easily as one casts a pebble to the ground. Can you imagine that? We are told that Jesus on the cross, with one look, could have humbled all his oppressors in the dust. It was that easy for him to do that, which made it that hard to resist. But he stayed on the cross for me and for you. To be in my place, to pay my penalty. Jesus himself could not see through the darkness of the tomb. We're told in Desire of Ages that he did not see himself coming forth from the tomb as a conqueror. And he was tempted to believe that the separation would be forever. Do you realize that? Jesus walked not just through the shadow of death, he walked to the second death. Jesus didn't jump off the cliff knowing the trampoline was at the bottom. He jumped off knowing only darkness. He did not have that feeling or assurance. Is that something that you and I are going to have too? Yes, it will. There's a friend of mine. He's a theologian. I won't say who he is. But his theology 
kind of goes a little bit like this. Is if you have a triple-decker hot fudge sundae, this is illustration, and you're having to resist eating it, then that's just works. You're white-knuckling it. You should just go ahead and eat it. Because you're just, you know, denying yourself what you really want. You're just going against your feelings. It's not really in your heart. But I want you to know that you can resist the triple-decker hot fudge sundae, even if you feel like eating it. Because did Jesus go to the cross because he felt like it? No. Did Jesus stay on the cross because he felt like it? No. There are going to be times when you don't want to open that Bible. When you don't want to get on your knees and pray. But you know who understands that? Jesus. Doesn't he? Things aren't always going to go happily ever after. You may not get into that school. That girl you love more than anyone else may walk out of your life. That parent that you've always looked up to may let you down. But you know, Jesus understands that, doesn't he? And you know what? We can do what he did. We can move forward in spite of the darkness. And I'm going to share with you something that I have seen transform more lives than anything else. This is the three most powerful words. I remember talking to a friend of mine. And I was telling him about this concept. I was sharing with him about trials and tribulations and how we can move through them in spite of rather than because of. And he's going through a hard time. He thought he was a shoe-in to this school. He applied and just assumed. He moved down there thinking, of course I'm going to get in. They wrote back to him, I'm afraid to tell you that we don't think you're going to be capable for this program. And he got a rejection letter. The girl who he had set his heart on basically had walked out of his life. And the career that he had was gone. All this happened in one week. And you know what I told him? I said, you should share your testimony. He's like, what testimony? (laughs) I'd like to know what God is going to do at the end before I share it. Don't you think so, Tim? You know, there's a story about little Pip-Pip. Have you heard that story? It's about a little chicken. And at the end of the story, do you know what happens to little Pip-Pip? It's eaten. We don't hear those stories anymore. We're so used to the happily ever after, but you know what it's done to us? It has kept people from understanding one another. Because my friend, he's a guy. Okay, guy, no job. Guy, rejected by the school. Guy, loses the girl. What are we? We got nothing as a guy. But that's just when to share your testimony Because why? It's more amazing to see you still holding on to God without seeing the end. Isn't that right? Do you understand? You do. You may not know why Seth is gone, but the fact that you still believe in Jesus is of greater witness, isn't it? The fact that my friend is here at this conference And not just believing in God. He's volunteering and he's helping out. You look at him and say, dude, you lost your job. You lost your woman. And you got rejected from school. (laughs) How are you feeling? And he'll be honest with you. He'll tell you, "Um, I'm not feeling so hot right now, Tim. I was trying to introduce him to some friends of mine. He's like, like, Tim, I, I really don't feel that confident now. Because they're going to say, so what do you do? Um, nothing. (laughs) He's like, what do I say, Tim? I said, tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Because I can tell you that there are more people that are going to be able to understand what you're going through than the happily ever after. And if they see that you are still a Christian in spite of what's going on, that's a better witness than because of. Does that make sense? 
I'm going to share one last story with you as we close. And it's what I believe are the three most powerful words in the Bible. Take a look at Daniel. Chapter 3. Very familiar story. Daniel chapter 3. So, you remember the vision, right? That Nebuchadnezzar had. The head of what? Gold. Arms of what? Silver. And then it goes down, right? Brass, iron, iron and clay, right? And what did the gold represent? Babylon. So what do you think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to say by making this image? And now, he constructed the image from the dream except with one minor change. Instead of using other metals, what was it made of? All of gold. So what do you think he was trying to say? That's right. His kingdom would never end. Can you imagine? This image was like 90 feet tall. It's insanity. The amount of gold, it's like more gold than Fort Knox. And okay, you know the routine. When the music plays, you fall down and worship. Okay? End of story, right? But as they play the music, there are three forms that do not bend. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He calls them over and he says, in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And this is kind of silly. They could have said, you know, dude, we've been with you like three and a half years. You know we don't serve your gods. It's like, we didn't eat the food, remember? Go to church on the Sabbath. Don't worship your gods, okay? I mean, how would you not know that? Of course he knew that. He just tried to let them know that he's giving them one more chance. Now, if you're ready... At the time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, heart, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you worship not, you will be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And at this point, Ellen White says that Nebuchadnezzar raised his hand in defiance and said, And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And you know the story, right? They were delivered, correct? But that's not the most powerful thing. Did you know that? That is not the most powerful thing about this story. I'll tell you the most powerful thing, the three words. It comes at the beginning of verse 18. But if not. But if not, if we roast, let it be known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, those are the three most powerful words. They said we will serve God if He comes through or if we burn as a sacrifice. Because He's God. Don't you see that that's a greater witness than even being saved from the flames? Because they were willing to serve God, not because He's Santa Claus, not because He gives you what you want, but because He's God. Because He's love, He's proven Himself to us. And we trust Him that if we die, He will raise us again. But if not, if you're facing that relationship, it may work out, but if not. Maybe you're going to get into that law school, but if not. God's got you the perfect job, 
but if not, what are you going to do? I think we as Christians have to cease playing games with God. Either we believe that He's God and He's God, or He's not. I can tell you in my life, the most difficult decision I've ever made was with the most beautiful woman I had ever met. I met a woman who was beautiful both inside and out. And to make a long story short, she was an Adventist, by the way, committed Adventist. But as I was reading things in the Bible and spirit of prophecy, after I was with her for over two years, I realized that I had to end this relationship. And I talked to my godly friends, and all of them unanimously supported ending it. Only one problem. I didn't want to. It was like cutting off my arm or plucking out my eye. Have you ever felt that way? That losing something is like ripping off a part of yourself. But I did it. And I can tell you that I cried. I shared with you about the tears of joy. These were not tears of joy. I cried every day for a month straight. And every time I cried, I couldn't stop. I cried until there was just nothing left. I would sob and, you know, the tear ducts were like, we're empty. Got to wait for us to refill again. Sorry. (laughs) Nothing left up here. And after that, it wasn't like just I stopped crying. I just didn't cry every day. Have you ever felt that way? I know that you have. I know that you have. But I can tell you, what happened to me was, this was almost two years after I broke up, maybe three. I was having dinner with a friend of mine, and she asked me, she said, Tim, do you ever think you'll love a woman more than that? And I shuddered, and I stopped, because I felt like I never could, and I never would again. But you know what I said? I said yes. Not because I feel it. But because I know it. Because I know God. Because I know He's not going to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death without bringing me through to the light. I know He's not going to take away something from my life without giving me something better. And even if I'm single for the rest of this life, I will see him someday and understand why. So I told my friend, yes, I will love a woman more than her, but I say that by faith. It was two and a half years afterwards. It's now been four years after I broke up. Still haven't had a girlfriend. But you know what? I believe it now. I can feel it now. But I can tell you for years, I couldn't feel it. Because she was, she was it. (laughs) There wasn't anyone else. But I can tell you, but if not, I will still serve God. You know, I could lose everything I have. I could have my medical license revoked. It could fire me. My house could get flooded. My car could die. All my family could reject me. But I still have one that doesn't change. And that's God. I serve God because He's God. Yes, I like it that He answers my prayers. I like it that He hears me. I like it that I prosper as I obey His commandments. But that's not why I worship Him. That's not why. For me, the most powerful words that you can read are, but if not. When the things go well, praise the Lord. But you know what? It's easy to believe in a God when things are going well, isn't it? Even Satan understands that. Well, of course Job worships you. you got a big hedge around him. I can't even come near him. You've prospered everything he does. He's got ten kids, wonderful wife, lots of land, lots of cattle. Take everything away and he'll curse you to your face. 
But you know, Job stayed faithful through the fire. Just as the worthies stayed faithful. But even if they burned in the fire, their dying testimony would be, but if not, we will still serve God. And I pray that you would remember that. I will never forget the lesson that I learned from Sean years ago. That things don't always work out the way you expect or think they should. But if not, God's still there. He understands. And I pray that you will serve Him still. Let's bow in prayer as we close. Loving Father in Heaven, I thank you for my brother Sean and the lessons that he has taught me. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be like him, to go through the darkness, to make my peace with you, and understand that my life is in your hands, that you know what is best. And though you don't take me around the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I pray that everyone, as they are taking steps toward you, Lord, in making their decision to be a Christian, that they would be ready to face the darkness because they know the one who leads them. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.